because I think that's where brands really need to differentiate themselves now is what kind of a connection did you make? Did you create an experiential, you know, type of a, not just a transaction, but something that's more of an experience for people that they care about. And so that's where I need our technology to take us next. Welcome to episode 44 of Clicks to Bricks, the podcast about multi-location marketing. I'm your host, Rob Reed. My guest today is Dina McKinley, and she's the CMO of Papa Gino's and D'Angelo's Grilled Sandwiches. I have a unique history with these iconic New England brands, which are in the midst of a turnaround under Dina's leadership. This interview was conducted in person at the FS Tech Conference in Dallas, Texas. It was the first event we've attended since before the pandemic, and it was a great way to get back out there. FS Tech is all about restaurant technology, which has become a huge part of how CMOs do their jobs. Indeed, the majority of a modern restaurant tech stack consists of marketing functions, from CRM and online ordering, to local SEO, social media management, media buying, chatbots, and local store marketing. This is the first of several interviews that originated at FS Tech, and we'll be doing more of these event-based themes going forward. So here's the first of those with Dina McKinley. Dina McKinley, welcome to Clicks to Bricks. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So we are at the FS Tech event in Dallas, Texas. Where did you fly in from? I came in from Massachusetts. Whereabouts in the great state of Massachusetts? Bellingham, Massachusetts. I actually flew in from Providence because I live closer to Rhode Island than I do to Boston. Yes, of course. Yeah, New, the New England states are very small, so you could you could find yourself much closer yes. <laughs> to another state's airport. I know all about that, which we're going to get into. But before we do, what is a fun fact about Dina McKinley that most might not know? Well, I started my professional life as a high school English teacher, and a lot of people don't know that and then are very surprised when I tell them that I started my career as a high school English teacher, and they always want to know how a person who studied literature all through college and graduate school, you know, and and wanted to teach high school, ended up becoming a marketing person. And I always tell them, you know, it's it's actually really a very similar type of a profession when you really think about it and you break it down. It's a lot of the same skill set. You have to really figure out how to clearly communicate and break down information to an audience that, you know, needs has a very short attention span. And you need to communicate really clearly in a very short amount of time to get people to understand what you're saying. And there's a lot of selling involved because, you know, not every high school senior wants to learn about Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, the, the skills of a teacher. Yeah, you really got to you really got to sell them on why they're studying English. Like, how am I going to use this exactly, actually? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's a bigger picture to it though that I'm trying to get my teenager to kind of understand yeah. when she when she asks those questions, why I need to learn all this stuff. Yeah, and you have to understand your audience. You know, there's a lot of parallel. They're absolutely and storytelling, right? Exactly. I mean, that's really at the heart of marketing and, and at the heart of being an English major is those stories that we tell ourselves, that we tell each other. You know, I mean, before there was, you know, recorded I mean, recording mechanisms, that's how information was passed on through stories. So, yeah, I mean, I studied philosophy and then got into marketing. So, kind of a similar path. I didn't go on to teach, but yeah, I think a lot of those liberal arts 
lend themselves very well to careers in marketing. I think so too. It teaches you how to think. Yeah, that's the core of it. Well, so as I alluded to, uh, I grew up in Connecticut and I'm so excited to have you on the show because my first job when I was 16 years old, the first like real job that I had, you know, after my paper route was at Papa Gino's. I was 16, like right when I turned 16, like that was kind of the cutoff that they would hire you at in good old Wallingford, Connecticut. And I went in and got a job and man, it was phenomenal, like learning how to make pizza and learning how to work in a restaurant at such a young age. And there was, you know, I mean, everybody in the working in the restaurant was pretty much my age, except for the manager. Right. So that was amazing. And then what's crazy is that I think I got an offer for better money, like literally two blocks up the street to go work for D'Angelo's sandwiches. Which back then it was connected to Steve's ice cream. I'm not actually sure when those, you know, kind of went away. But yeah, and then that was, you know, making sandwiches. And that what really taught me was just that fast paced lunch rush. Like every movement matters, you know, like it's just about about efficiency, right? And so just, I mean... Those were those were formative jobs. So I'm so, so happy to actually have you on the show to give us the 411 on Papa Gino's and D'Angelo's in 2021 and going into 2022. So why don't you tell us, kind of fast forward from the 1980s, my experience with those brands to the present day, because I know a lot has happened. Well, first, I just want to say that I love hearing those stories. And I just love all of those experiences that I hear. And that's actually why I joined this company. And what inspired me to join this company was all of the stories that people have to tell about these brands, because there's passion and there are raving fans. And anyone that you talk to about Papaginos or D'Angelo either had a first job at a Papaginos or a D'Angelo, had a birthday party at a Papaginos, had, you know, their neighborhood sandwich shop was D'Angelo. I mean, you name it. There was a life event associated with those brands. Yeah. If you grew up in New England, there were fixtures, institutions. Exactly. They're New England fixtures. And it's just it that I love that about those brands. And I love that you had those stories. And I would say where the evolution, you know, has happened from then to now is that, you know, we've evolved. Both of the brands have evolved with technology and with the times, you know, we there's delivery, there's order ahead, there's ordering online, there's third party, there's, you know, we've entered the digital age, there's search and and all of the other things that we've had to come around with. We're on, you know, social media, we're all over the places where a normal, you know, modern brands should be, yet we still have that same old fashioned neighborhood feel. And I would say the biggest change that's occurred is the way that we're able to pay off that neighborhood sandwich shop and neighborhood pizzeria position, because the way that we're doing that is more through digital grassroots marketing than it is through the same, you know, terrestrial marketing grassroots stuff that we used to do. And there's a digital component, but then there's also content component that is digital as well. You know, and so we're really out there in our communities physically But then we're also capturing all of that physical involvement in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And then we're pushing that out for the world to see the world meaning in our neighborhood silos and in our neighborhoods, you know, through our restaurants and the team members that are in those restaurants and the guests that come into those restaurants so they could see that 
in our digital media as well. There's also been some recent ownership change. And so tell me about how you, you know, ended up in your role now with the new company, the newly formed company, I guess. New England Authentic Eats purchased the old company in February of 2019. And from there, we were tasked with a big, you know, turnaround of the brand. And we were basically looking to really reignite these iconic brands back to who they used to be in the communities and really to make them special again because people loved these brands, but we weren't necessarily paying off on the proposition that we had given people in the past. And so it was our job to reestablish that trust, reestablish that link with the guests, reestablish that trust with our team members. And we really worked very hard to do that. And 2019 was a really pivotal year for us to really lay the groundwork for that and then get this turnaround going. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, you get in there, you're excited to rebuild. And of course, we get hit with the pandemic. So, but it sounds like you might have gotten your feet under you enough before the pandemic hit that you're actually pretty successful through it. Talk us through the pre and through the pandemic. Yes. Well, when we came on board in 2019, you know, the first thing that you do is you make sure your house is in order and you really make sure that you have the right people in the right places and you get the operation, you know, really focused and you get the culture focused and you make sure that you build trust and, you know, you get, you get all of that internal feeling in the right place to make sure that everything can be executed properly before you have to start any marketing. You have to make sure that you can handle the business that you're bringing in. And then the next thing that we did was we said, you know, we need to let people know that we're still here because we'd been, you know, quiet for a while. And so we went out and we went broadcast and we told everybody we were still here. And we knew that that wasn't probably the right investment for us, for the size of our company and the scale that we had and the penetration in the markets. But we did that because we wanted to bring in a lot of new guests so that we could start marketing to them in a very intelligent way. And that's what we did. Once we got new guests in the door, that's when we were able to really build a database where we started marketing to them in a very specific way through loyalty, through targeted emails, through targeted text messages. And we started being able to build frequency and continue to get them to come back. And then on top of that, we started to say, how else can we drive new guests in? And that's when we created a very specific digital program that consisted of how we could take advantage of search engine optimization and how we could take advantage of paid search. And so between our database, search engine optimization, and paid search, we really had our three-pronged strategy approach. And within that, we knew that search engine optimization needed to have all the content that would feed it. And that is where all of our other digital marketing and content came in to play. I mean, you must have you know, these are really multi-generational brands, you know, with me being, you know, a Gen Xer and, you know, my parents having been, you know, being boomers and having been customers back in the day. Did you find that there were a lot of the, like the older generations were kind of, we having success bringing them back to the brand? Are you seeing that in your data at all? Yes, we definitely have a good frequency rate of our older generations 
we're, you know, our email program is really good with that group. Yeah. And <laughs> they're still on email. The, and yeah. so we're definitely, our email program and our database is really strong. And through segmentation and targeting, we're really able to keep them coming back. And then we're using a lot of the other mediums to try to drive a new audience and diversify. I mean, just as a side note, like one of the coolest things about D'Angelo's menu is the cheeseburger sub, which I really don't think I've ever seen on any other menu anywhere. I made a ton of them when I worked there and ate plenty of them. Is that still on the menu? Is that still a big seller? Absolutely. It is. Our core product at D'Angelo is, of course, our steak and cheese. And the product that is known not as a name, but a number (laughs) is our steak number nine. That's right. Wow. Everybody loves it. It's been the number number. nine for decades. Yes. That's amazing. Legendary. Steak number nine. And then, of course, the cheeseburger pizza. (laughs) And then, of course. You're mixing up brands here. (laughs) Then, of course, the cheeseburger sub. The cheeseburger sub. It's delicious. You you cut the cheeseburger in half, Mm -hmm. and then you just lay the the straight edge (laughs) down in the sandwich roll, which, like, the sandwich rolls are amazing. The... It's uh, so good. The turkey is also legendary. Like, it's some of the best. I've gone to so many of these other sandwich chains, you know. I mean, it's a really competitive category, right? Like, nationally. And honestly, I have not been able to replicate either of those two items. I haven't been able to get a turkey sandwich like D'Angelo's anywhere else ever. Or, and then the cheeseburger sub is... I don't know if anybody else offers that. Yeah, it's, I mean, the grilled. <laughs> I'm kind of a fanboy, I guess. <laughs> the, yeah, I can tell. I love it. You sure you don't want so to move back? So many vivid memories. You sure you don't want to move back to but New I, England? Like, lived in, I lived in California for like almost like the past 20 years and then Utah. So I've, I haven't been exposed to it, unfortunately. But man, the, the memories are so vivid. Well, the grilled goodness is a huge differentiator for us. I mean, nobody beats the D'Angelo grill. It's just, it's so indulgent and craveable. It's just yummy. And I mean, I think about it all the time when I'm working on marketing and I have to order it at least twice a week. And, you know, that's that's good. (laughs) And sometimes, (laughs) you know, but I have to say that the food is fresh and authentic and delicious. And same with Papa Gino's, you know, it's quality food. It's authentic Italian recipe of Papa Gino's. And you can't beat it. You can't beat the food. You can't beat the everything. It's- yeah, but the Papaginos format has evolved. Like back in the 80s when I worked there, it was, you know, kind of a family dining format with servers and booths and, yeah. you know. The- Jukeboxes on yeah. the tables. Yeah. 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 There was even like a, a break table. You know, mm-hmm. that, that all the employees use that like was only used if we were like, you know, sold out and packed. But it's evolved a bit. Tell me a little bit about how Papa Gino's has evolved. Well, Papa Gino's has become more of a fast casual concept. And so you order at the counter, you know, there's menu boards, you place an order at the counter, and then your food is either brought to you when it's ready, or if you're waiting, you can take it. We encourage order ahead. You know, you can order ahead to carry out or you can order for delivery. It really has, it's not a casual dining concept anymore where you go in and place an order with a server. So there's no wait staff. And it's been that way for a while. It's been that way for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It makes sense. You got to evolve with the times. And that's certainly where pizza has gone in general. You know, it's kind of become, in many cases, just a pure 
e-commerce business, but it sounds like there's still a little bit more that Papaginos offers than the kind of QSR formats, right? Definitely. Yes. There's still an experience to be had. Yes. That's what it's about. The Mm -hmm. experience. Let's talk a little bit about your session at FS Tech. So it's called How CMOs Use Tech Today. And it's described as, uh, you know, the CMO's job has become inseparable from technology as things like social media, digital promotions, and loyalty become key areas of focus for restaurants. So uh, what has been your personal experience in deploying digital strategies for your brands? Well, really, when I started working at Papaginos and D'Angelo, that was exactly the, the first step that we had to take was to understand where all the data was and understand, you know, where the data infrastructure lived, how we could access it, understand what the best way to utilize it was, you know, once you analyze it and once you know what's there, you have to figure out, okay, well, what's the best way to use it? How do I do something with it? What did you inherit? Like, I mean, was it like, was it a complete mess? Was it like a, you know, wipe the slate clean and start over? No, we actually, our internal data warehouse was very well organized. And internally, it was great. We had well organized data. We had, you know, everything, a lot of customer information. We had it very well set up, which is wonderful to start. That's a great place to start. Yeah, that's the foundation. It's just getting it elsewhere that we had to work with. So it was getting it into a CRM, finding out what CRM to use, figuring out how to make the most of what we had, or deciding if we wanted to switch from what we had to something else, if we weren't making the best use of the existing platform that we had, which we were not at the time. So I think a lot of the time that I spent at the beginning was really trying to understand the platforms that we had to see if we just weren't utilizing them properly or if we needed a different solution. And that's how I worked with the technology team to really understand, is this piece of technology meeting marketing's needs? And is there a way to make it meet marketing's needs? And we're just not doing it yet because there wasn't anybody pushing it. Or does this technology just not do that? And it does something else and that's good, but it doesn't do everything. And so that was really a a lot of work that we worked. I worked hand in hand with the technology team to really figure that out and understand strategically what we wanted to accomplish. And by the end of that year, we had figured out what solution we wanted and we changed platforms. And so into, you know, early 2020, we had made that migration and we were starting, we knew what we wanted to accomplish. And that was the beginning of our at least internal database infrastructure change. And that was the first piece because we needed to get our house in order, you know, so to speak with the data. And that's what helped us start with email targeting and segmentation because it was a lot easier for us to control that world. It was a lot easier for us to, you know, decide how we wanted to new guest email. As soon as we got a new guest in the system, how do we target them? How do we bring them back within a certain amount of time? All of that kind of stuff. How do we put people on different journeys based on their recency and their frequency and menu item and all of the other type of targeting that we can do? And so that platform made that easier. Then the next thing that we approached was the SEO and figuring out how we can get location specific and figuring out what we needed to do there and how we can take our paid search and link it to our first party data 
And it basically just then became a, a world of everything being interconnected. And that's when things really start to ramp up. And so that's how you know, we started to use technology to really, you know, I think, give us the fuel that we needed to win. How were you getting customer data like email and so forth before you had digital ordering? Or did you always have digital ordering and that's how you were getting it? Yes, we always had digital ordering. So that you already had digital ordering in we place had, when you got there. So that had been in place. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. And that's, loyalty. Yeah. So we had plenty so of, that, we had plenty of guest okay. data. We had yeah. plenty of data. It was just the matter of what do you do with it and how well you cut it, basically, and plan with it. So then talk to me a little bit about how you've worked with the third-party delivery services. And has that been kind of an evolution in you know how you've thought about them what role they play in the business well i think you know they became almost table stakes and so you have to be in the marketplace and we're there and so we work with them in that capacity from a marketplace perspective and then we partner with them at the restaurant level too to help us offset when we need for example you know at papaginos when we want to make sure that our guest experience is really great. We want to make sure that we stick to our delivery times. And if we don't have drivers that are going to be able to meet delivery times within delivery area radius or because they're busy, we use a product called Vromo. They're actually here at FS Tech and they help us dispatch and choose between dispatching it to our own internal delivery drivers or dispatch it to DoorDash because they're integrated with DoorDash. And so we can choose to say, okay, because I have a delivery driver that's too far away, I'm going to dispatch it instead to DoorDash. And then that helps us determine, you know, how we can manage that guest experience. And so it's, it's a very interesting way to approach that because, you know, as you know, guest experience is a really integral component to your SEO and your authoritativeness yeah. and where yeah, you that, don't want bad reviews. and your trustworthiness <laughs> and where that leaves your reviews, how you land up in the credibility ratings. So we make sure that, you know, that whole loop is being closed. And then on the D'Angelo side, we're integrated with DoorDash internally so that it's linked directly to our online ordering and POS system. And so when somebody orders delivery from D'Angelo, it's it's executed through DoorDash. But then, I don't know, like I feel like there's been this, this evolution where, you know, restaurants were like initially afraid of the third-party delivery services. Like, oh my God, they're going to take our business or they're going to send our business elsewhere or they're going to take these huge fees. And then they kind of the next evolution was, well... Let's try them. Let's test it with a few and see how it works. And then COVID hit. And then they're just like, all right, we're all in. You know, like however we can get an order into the system. So many went like across the board. We do them all, you know, like we integrate with them all. And now we're coming out of COVID and, you know, kind of things are shifting back. And my sense is that it's, you know, you're almost in, there's the fulfillment part of the third-party delivery services, right? Which is great when you can do that. But then there's the, like, I'm competing for the same customers with those guys. And they've got unlimited marketing budgets. Like, you're not going to compete against them in search, right? They're going to outbid you every single time, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you feel like they are, 
you know, you're still competing with them though, like for the customer at the end of the day? No, I don't think we are. I think that there's a different type of customer that's in third party. The way that we look at it is the people that are in third party are in the apps and they don't know what they want to eat at the time that they're in there, you know, necessarily. So they're in the apps, they're figuring out what they're going to eat. If they see us, they see us. And that's an incremental type of a win for us. And that's why we're in there. I understand where you're going in terms of the search and where they put ads within our spaces in search. And are they cannibalizing our Google My Business page? Exactly. But we feel like they're down enough in that space where people understand that it's more expensive on those apps too. Yeah. And they're going to want to order from us versus those apps if they have a choice. And they're going to go to our online ordering over theirs because of that experience. The people, it's a different demo that's in the app versus that's going to order from our website as a customer. So you're not like actively trying to, you know, convert those customers to your own? Well, <laughs> like I've heard, you know, it's like the, you know, put the flyer inside the bag and say next time. Right. Well, if they happen to be in the app and see us and we get a new guest and then they like us and then they end up saying, I want to order Papaginos next time and they Google us and they happen to go to our website. Yeah. Then sure. Yeah. But you're not bending over backwards and like investing a ton. It's like if you can get those people, great. If not, you're fine with them staying on DoorDash and, you know, as long as you provide a great product and experience, when they go back to DoorDash, they're going to choose you again. Yeah. I mean, we would love those guests to come to us. Sure. We want their data. So we would rather they order through us. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Anybody would. But we're at this point, we're not investing anything in converting them. We're basically just taking it that the consumer in the app is a different type of consumer and that we want to still share while we're there. And, you know, if we're an option that's in there and people choose us, that's great. And, you know, we have to choose what our points of focus need to be at this point in our evolution. And that's not necessarily the point of our focus. And we're kind of going where the big, you know, tides are in our business and and really focusing there. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny because I had the CMO of Domino's on and I remember I asked him, I'm like, do you think that, do you look at the third party delivery services as like indirect competitors? He's like, no, they are direct competitors. Like we do what they do, except like we actually make the food. Right. right. Like, well, they're on the, by that far end of the spectrum, right? Exactly. Because like, Domino's is, is Domino's. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're, they're a technology company. They're a technology company and they're, yeah. you know, a huge public company that has a huge budget. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's a whole spectrum, I would say, then, uh, you know, because then there's smaller ones, smaller chains, you know, 20 locations or so that are just like, I don't want to invest in online ordering. I don't want to invest in all this stuff. These guys are just making it easy for me, um, you know, but, but like on your website, for example, like, is there any place on the website that links directly to a third party, right? Like, that's the thing that when I see a brand, restaurant brand that has online ordering, and then they also link to a third party, I'm like, why would you do that? No, we don't have that at all. No. No. <laughs> that's good. No, in fact, like we, in, in fact, me. if we do promotions within our third party marketplace apps, we only target new users within those apps. We will not do any programs that market to existing 
Like users. somebody who's ordered from you before Correct. through the third party. Correct. Yeah. Okay. We yeah. Only you can, want you can suppress new, that. We only want new users yeah. for that exact reason. We only want to invest within the app in new people. That's We use the apps as new guest acquisition. That's our reason mm-hmm. for being. It's to seal share and to have a new guest acquisition channel. It's not... It's not for any other reason. It's not to cannibalize business or move business from one vertical to another. It's such a fascinating topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it really is. But I forgot to ask, though, about the current footprint. So what's the structure, corporate franchise, and, and how many locations are we working with across the two brands? So Papa Gino's is all company-owned with a licensee. And we're in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Connecticut, and D'Angelo is in Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Maine. And what's the total locations? D'Angelo has 40 company-owned and about 40 franchise, and Papa Gino's is 80 company-owned. And what's the growth plan look like? Well, we've been growing this year in terms of converting existing Papaginos locations into dual conversions, meaning we're adding a D'Angelo brand sandwich menu to our existing Papaginos locations. There were already a few of them in the system before this year. And this year, we've recently added three of those dual conversions. And these are all happening and being remodeled. So they're being updated, new refreshed locations, having a new look. So Papaginos, D'Angelo together under one roof, two of your neighborhood favorites, And we have five more of those planned where we're going to be converting Papaginos, existing locations, and adding a D'Angelo under that roof. And then after that, we're going to be looking at at least planning one more under the Papaginos and one more under the D'Angelo brand. And also you're putting some effort behind franchising D'Angelo's even more, right? Absolutely. Um, Starting in fourth quarter, we're going to be putting a lot of effort behind D'Angelo franchise sales and really looking to grow that brand in terms of franchising. It's very exciting. Just in New England. Well, in probably the Northeast in in general for now and, you know, filling in some of the the pockets that we have there and who knows what's next. New York City. Who knows what's next? (laughs) You sound like you love, you know, you love the D'Angelo brand. You you need to open one. Yes, maybe. I'd say that's that's not so far out of the realm of possibility for sure. Because, you know, where I live in Park City, we just don't have very good food options as much as great of a resort town as it is, for some reason, they just kind of haven't solved that. So I'm almost using this podcast to kind of shop for franchises in a bit. <laughs> Ooh. Well, that's great. Yeah. I know some I think, people I can put you in touch that's with. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I think Smashburger's up on uh, high on my list too. Yeah. We could really use a Smashburger. Okay. Let's go back a little bit to the, the tech. What's the roadmap look like? What do you have in place? What do you feel like is solid? And how are you sequencing kind of like these next phases of tech? Well, right now, I feel like we have a really good handle on our database. We have a really good handle on our media using first-party data. Our partners that engage local media are terrific. They're you know helping us manage our CRM. They're helping us with segmentation and targeting. They're working with first-party data through the CRM and using it for digital. They're using it you know in social, social influencers, you name it. We're using it. They're managing our Google My Business. They're feeding it 
all kinds of, of important things based on the local programs that we're running. I feel really good with where we are there. I'd like to take loyalty to the next level. We have currently, we're, we're looking to change our online ordering for Papaginos. And so a lot is going to ride on that because I think there's going to be a way to connect a lot of different things together once we find a new online site. So I think, you know, we're going to have to wait and see where that lands. But once that happens, I think we're going to see a lot of growth with loyalty moving into the next phase with guest experience and the whole journey as it pertains to, you know, where we start from the entire, you know, search process all the way through the journey, all the touch points ordering, and then, you know, picking up all at the end and then the post-sale, post sale, the yeah. guest experience surveys, the post-visit and how we really create an overall emotional experience for the guests. Because I think that's where brands really need to differentiate themselves now is what kind of a connection did you make? Did you create an experiential, you know, type of a, tra- not just a transaction, but something that's more of an experience for people that they care about. And so that's where I need our technology to take us next. What about like the third-party review sites? I mean, you mentioned Google My Business, yes. and, you know, and you got Yelp and Facebook and TripAdvisor. Are those channels that you're managing? Is there any local participation in those with the franchisees or or store managers? And is that something you looked at when you arrived to kind of get a get a feel for like where the brand stood? Yes, that is actually something that we reviewed right away, and now it's actually the marketing team encompasses guest services and catering. And so it all works together because the guest services director, who is a part of the marketing team, is the person that manages all of our third-party reviews. So we're watching it and our ops team comes and meets with us weekly. We go over all of these reviews plus our internal feedback that comes in through our website you know, internal web forms. And we're going through all of the feedback on a weekly basis. We're having incentive contests at restaurants to make sure that we're keeping high enough reviews. And we know how that all feeds into the digital ecosystem. And it's a very important point of focus for us in the operational level. So... And yeah, so you're making some operational changes based on some of that that data. Absolutely. It's very important to us. Nice. Okay, I wanted to talk, you know, a little bit about, you know, career advice, you know, you're CMO and you've got no doubt younger people on your team. Do you have anything in place to, you know, for oriented around career advancement and what advice are you giving to younger marketers that aspire to one day, you know, lead a a brand as CMO? Well, the first thing I would say is that anything is possible. If a high school English teacher can make it to my role, you just, you never know. And so I would encourage everybody to go into life with that perspective, anything they do. The next thing is always ask questions because you just, you have to always want to know why things are done. Never assume that because somebody else says something that it is how it is. And it just has to be that way because that's not the case. You know, always ask why and want to know more because you could really be onto something that somebody else hasn't thought of because everybody has unique perspectives and it's really important to push that boundary all the time. The other thing I think that's really important is always work in phases. 
One thing I found in my career is that if I try to do too much, because sometimes my brain works faster than I can get things done. Yeah. And I get paralyzed almost because mm-hmm. I can't do yeah, it all. Overwhelmed. Yeah. And it, it overwhelms me and then I don't get anything done. So I've started to write things down in bite-sized pieces. And if you do things in phases, you feel a sense of accomplishment that you've finished something. And that's particularly important in technology. You need to know where you're going at the end. You need that roadmap and you need to know what you want to accomplish when it comes to marketing and technology. But you have to give yourself checkpoints because if you don't give yourself checkpoints, you're never going to feel like you're accomplishing anything and then it'll be discouraging and you won't ever get anything done. So I think those are the biggest things that I talk to my team about and that I would talk to anybody who's starting out in marketing. Yeah, particularly when adopting technology, you know, one of the questions that you need to be very clear about with vendors is that implementation time. And to your point, asking questions like, okay, this sounds great, but like, what's going to go wrong? (laughs) You know, like, why is this going to get delayed? And then try to get that from them and say, okay, well, if you guys don't get us this at this time, then of course, that's going to push us back 30 days, you know, so you know what you need to do on on your end, you know, because they'd be like, yeah, we're going to stand you up in 30 days. And you're like, okay, great. And you go and, you know. 90, 120 days later, it's still not not active, right? Yes. And another really important point that I'll add is having worked on the vendor side, I worked for Mobivity yeah. and Mobivity does, you know, in, intelligent text messaging and, and also data and they have a recurrency platform. And one of the things that I really learned on that side of the business, plus now being on the brand side of the business, is that when you're working on integrating technology... It's really important for all those questions and for the marketing person to be working with the tech team hand in hand from the very beginning, because sometimes you don't know the right questions to ask. And if you don't know what you don't know, and then you get five meetings in and you think there's a certain timeline, it will all not work the way that you want it to. If a random question by somebody on another team gets asked, and it it basically stops the whole process because it was such an important question that needed to be asked four weeks ago. And you need to be in lockstep with each other from the beginning. Technology and marketing are so intertwined now that whenever you're working on taking in a new marketing technology, all the questions have to be asked up front. And not everybody knows the right questions to ask. Technology doesn't know the right marketing questions to ask and marketing doesn't know the right technology questions to ask. They need to work together. And I think that's a very big key message. I'm curious, like when you, you know, you're going to stand up a new tech solution and you ask all the right questions and you have tech involved and you agree to a timeline, are you handicapping that timeline when you tell your CEO when it's going to be actually stood up? Like, Are you kind of giving yourself a buffer there, knowing that this process can always kind of get derailed? No, I mean, I think you have to be honest. I mean, I think that... Well, just like managing expectations, right? But I think that's where you give, you say, this is the target date we want to hit. And these things could happen that would push it by X, Y, Z. And you would say, this is the target date. 
pending all of these things happen on the right times. And yeah. we manage, we use smart sheets. And so it's, it's all contingencies. Like here's the delivery date. If this, 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 and this happen, if those dates get missed, that delivery date gets pushed. And so it's just being realistic and transparent with all of the initial steps. And, you know, when, you know, I was mentioning my experience on vendor side and, and now brand side, you know, when I started at, at Papa Gino's and D'Angelo, we brought Mobivity on board and we have them for our text program. And we worked right away with technology and marketing and we got them implemented like I want to say like two weeks. I mean, it was just a quick, amazing, painless process because right on board, like right when we started, we just immediately got all the key stakeholders together and made it happen. And when you can do things that way, it's great. I mean, that was, you know, that was all the stars and planets aligned. Yeah. Not, you know, that doesn't always happen, but that's how you have to do it. And so it really makes a difference. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think, young marketers would definitely do themselves a service to attend conferences like FS Tech and go to the vendor, go to the trade area and just learn about all the technologies. You know, I mean, if you're coming from a brand, of course, you know, you're going to get sold to and it's going to be hard. But the more you know, the better equipped you're going to be because, you know, as a marketer today, you're also, a, you have to be a technologist exactly. at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So let's go to the lightning round. A few topics, maybe a quick response or a sentence or two. Okay, first lightning round topic is influencer marketing. So we started to do influencer marketing last year in 2020. And it's been really great for us because we feel like it's helping build our followers on Instagram, particularly, and Twitter. And it's also putting us on TikTok now. We've recently started testing the waters in TikTok. Nice. And that's been a lot of fun. And we also think it's helping, you know, we want to use that as a strategy to start helping us build our search engine optimization with, you know, the expertise and people kind of pushing out messaging about us other than us pushing out messaging about mm. us. So we like that. <laughs> well, what about the granddaddy uh, Facebook we're using Facebook too. We use Facebook mostly for community engagement when we talk about programs like Pizza My Heart, which is a program where we deliver pizzas to, you know, community heroes, people that, you know, unsung heroes, people that work at the deed registry, dental office, you know, staff and people that work at the library and, you know, firefighters and policemen. And we deliver pizzas to these people and just, you know, because it's pizza love. So pizza, my heart. And we do the same thing with D'Angelo. We call the program Everyday Heroes. So that's our content, like community content and other types of community engagement. We use Facebook for that because that's a lot of community sharing, community love. Instagram, we do just a lot of food, yummy, you yeah. know, lick the screen <laughs> type stuff. Um, I, I was going to use a different term. I was yeah, going to use the different lick, term too, but like, I didn't. Lick the screen, I like that better. I didn't know if I wanted to say the food, you know what. So, uh, so anyway, Instagram, you know, that's where our influencers come in with that. And Facebook, we have influencers too that share like football game community stuff and different things. And then on TikTok, we have influencers that are, are doing, you know, they're helping us with doing video and Create fun, your own dances and stuff like that. You know, the... 
what there was a, a recent one, like the ask me any question one that they did one. And it was really cute. It yeah. was, it was one of the trends. That, I'm sure my 14 year old did mm-hmm, it yeah. and I'm just not aware of it. It was stuck in my head for like two <laughs> weeks, but yeah, I had to get into TikTok, you know, for research purposes. Yeah, I didn't get addicted or right. anything. <laughs> no, the algorithm's not <laughs> the that algorithm's good. <laughs> yeah. I haven't downloaded it or checked it out because yeah, yeah I know I probably would get addicted. Yes. <laughs> Well, Dina McKinley, thanks so much for your time and best of luck with two of my, you know, historically favorite restaurant brands, Papa Gino's and D'Angelo's Sandwiches. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thanks for having me. For over two decades, FS Tech has been the center for CIOs, CMOs, and other top operators to meet and discuss ways to innovate and accelerate their businesses. FS Tech continues to be the food service industry's most compelling technology conference, offering insight into security, software development, and marketing, while celebrating the latest and most innovative solutions in technology to date. Join close to 1,000 attendees for three days of compelling sessions and top-notch networking opportunities, all targeted at the technology side of the industry. To learn more about FS Tech and to register for future events, go to fstech.com. That's F-S-T-E-C.com. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on LinkedIn and to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter at clickstobricks.fm for exclusive content and previews of upcoming shows. I'm your host, Rob Reed, and this is Clicks to Bricks, a podcast about multi-location marketing. Mm-hmm.